This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams, and I'm joined by David Hughes. Dave, how's things, mate? Yeah, very good. Thank you, mate. Um, good to be back. I feel like we're quite late to the party this week. We are obviously recording on the Thursday. And we have Manchester United to talk about. Uh, something happened at Old Trafford, Dave. <laughs> That's one way of putting it. One way of putting um, it, yeah. Yeah, but we still haven't spoke about it. As I said, late to the party, probably the last to get around to it. It's just the way the scheduling works sometimes. Uh, but yeah, we have to get into that, of course. And we have to look ahead to Brighton this weekend. Uh, Liverpool play at three o'clock on Saturday. But yeah, first things first, mate. Manchester United. I mean, what on earth happened? Madness. Madness ensued. Uh, yeah, I, honestly, I don't know. Well, I, I know, obviously. Uh, it was just... I just... For, for all United's issues... Um, I could have easy, easily foreseen a, a Liverpool win, um, but just not in that manner, you know. And it, although it was a five-nil um, victory, which in itself is is a very big deal, of course it is. You know, it's a kind of generational victory. It was just it was the way it played out, and I think I saw Michael Cox make a really good point in a tweet uh, earlier in the week, or maybe on the game day where he'd said this is the most embarrassing result uh, for Manchester United in the Premier League era. Um, and he said, obviously, the the Manchester City game where they lost 6-1 is considered, you know, previously before the Liverpool game on Sunday was considered that result. But, you know, if you do remember that game, uh, United were still fairly in that. You know, it was 3-1 up until late on. United were chasing and um, away back into it. Whereas this game, you know, it was it was it was over, wasn't it? Really, like by half time. I'm that was it three or four nil at half time? It was four, four yeah. nil. You know that four nil at half time. It's the first time actually that United have been four down in a half time in the Premier League era. Well, there you go. I mean, that says it all. And that City game I was referencing that was three one with, with with about you know ten minutes to go, and then City just kind of. Uh, bombard late on and made the scoreline what what ended up being really embarrassing. But this four nil at half time, never a contest at any point. Maybe the first four minutes where Fernandez has that chance at nil nil, you can argue there was a competitive edge to it. But the minute the first goal goes in, it's just curtains. Yeah, it was absolutely ridiculous as a match. Like from a Liverpool perspective, it couldn't have been any more perfect like honestly in terms of the whole makeup of the game like if you look at how the game worked out Liverpool score four in the first half win five nil spend the last half an hour just keeping the ball half of United's team got a booking one of them even got sent off their star man star player scored a goal and got disallowed it was just a really horrendous day for Manchester United um, and again, from a Liverpool perspective, it couldn't have been more perfect, and it, it it was ruthless. And I actually think that it sounds mad saying this. I actually think Liverpool could have played a lot better, hmm. um, specifically on the ball. Yeah, sorry, I I was just agreeing with you. Yeah, and I I thought they they didn't look at the sharpest uh, sharpest. Sorry that they've looked across this season so far. There was a little spell. Uh, maybe, you know, last 20 minutes of the first half where uh, a bit bit like a self-sabotage kept giving the ball away in really kind of dangerous areas, you know, inside their own half. Maybe a a team with more confidence could have have punished them. Um, United couldn't, but I mean, we are nitpicking a little bit, aren't we? I guess that's that's the, that was the only negative and it's not even a negative. Um, But yeah, that that was it, 5-0 and I think it was more of a brilliant result than, than performance, which is really kind of rubs the salt in the room for, for, from a Manchester United point of view. 
I mean, there was there was a fair few records that were broken on the day. Um, yeah, Liverpool, the first club to score two hat tricks in the Premier League against Manchester United. The other one was their Coat. Uh, Salah, I think, surpassed Didier Drogba on the day as the top scoring African player in the Premier League. Um, yeah, this was Liverpool's biggest away victory at Old Trafford ever. Um, as I said, first time Manchester United have ever won in a half time, four goals down. Uh, There's just a load of them, basically. I think, funny enough as well, another mad one. Jordan Henderson became the the Premier League player with the most passes ever. Um, Jordan again. I think the previous most was Gareth Barry. Um, and Henderson's overtook him with something like, I, I don't know what the figure is. It was a big figure, put it that way. Like, I'm talking career figures. Yeah, I missed that. I'll be honest, I hadn't seen that one. Um, yeah. Here's one for you, though, Josh, before we get into the numbers. Were you, was there a party you wanted to just settle maybe that night that you were a little bit disappointed that um, they couldn't go and reach like a 7 or 8 eight nil scoreline? Because I think at one stage that could have happened or were you not, not that bothered? That wasn't even a dust settling thing. That was mid-game. I, during the game, I was like, keep going, you know what I mean? That typical fan perspective, I suppose. But at the same time, I think there was a, there's a big focus specifically from Klopp on don't get anyone injured. So I think from the perspective of controlling the game, you get out there with no more injuries, specifically to midfielders, navigators, or you're off on a stretcher. Um, but yeah, so I think you could have went down genuinely historic routes and start putting seven past them and things like that. Mm. And I, I am a bit disappointed still that they didn't. Uh, but then, you know, five nil before the game, you would have taken that every day of the week. <laughs> so uh, again, yeah. I've just seen that, that Henderson figure actually. So he overtook Gareth Barry to become the leading passer in Premier League history. Total of 170,002 passes. Oh, um, apologies. So this wasn't in the 90-minute match. This was no, just no, no. historically. Okay, yeah. Yeah, this is like one player ever based on a total figure. Mm. But anyway, I mean, we'll, we'll, go, we'll go step by step then in terms of the match. So there was a few changes made going into the game. Mm. Uh, some surprisingly from a Liverpool perspective, maybe. Um, so Ibrahima Kanate coming for Joel Matup. Diogo Jota come in for Sadio Mane. And I think the midfield maybe was a bit of a surprise in terms of Milner, Henderson and Cater. I suppose Cater had came off midweek um, against Atletico Madrid. But that was the team anyway. Were you surprised, Dave? What were your thoughts on the team? I was a little bit surprised initially. Um, you know, I, I suppose Canate, you, you putting them in, could be seen as a little bit of a risk in such a big game. Obviously, those kind of fears seem a little bit daft, you know, afterwards when you see how competent he performed, but obviously that's with the benefit of hindsight. Um, Mane was a big one. Obviously, big game player. He's, he's been really sharp this season. Um, obviously, Joss has been on fire as well, of course, um, pretty much since he's come in. But you look at Mane and you kind of think of having that, um, that traditional... Liverpool three in, in, in these big games um, of Mane, Firmino and Salah. But, you know, Klopp does does have previous, doesn't he, of kind of changing the team for the big games, for the big emotional games, ones that you think you normally wouldn't risk it. I think he's done it quite a few times in Merseyside derbies, uh, one or two times against United. Um, and most of the time, it hasn't really backfired. And you'd say it wouldn't here, but I would caveat and say, if you look at that start in 11, that still played... Beyond maybe, I don't know, Milner. Um, in fact, I can't think of another one. And even that's a bit harsh on Milner. I think beyond him, it's still a really good 11, isn't it? It's a really strong 11. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, looking at the side, I did think there was an almost risk attached to it. Obviously, it's a massive game to throw Canada into. Hmm. Um, and I thought it was interesting that from a Mane perspective, that's the second consecutive game now. At Old Trafford, that man he started on the bench, which I thought was quite interesting. So I had a little think about it. I got asked to write on the back of it, a bit of a review of the game and things from the Echo. And I think from a tactical perspective, it did make sense. So 
in terms of Canate, he is physically very, very good. Um, he's a lot quicker than Matip. And probably, I think you can say, better 1v1. And I think if you look at United's threat, a lot of their threat comes on that side of the pitch. Pogba drifts over there, Ronaldo drifts over there, Rashford's already over there, Luke Shaw's more dangerous than Juan Basaka. So, I think to the... And Trent, obviously, it gets forward and has suffered at times at Old Trafford in the past. So, I think to play Canate, who can kind of, I suppose, cope a bit better than Matip can in isolation and can deal with Rashford 1v1, maybe, and can can manage balls in behind and things like that, can use United speed against them and things. I think it made sense, ultimately, to deploy Canate. And I think during the game, I thought he was absolutely spot on. I thought he was brilliant. Um, and there's obviously that moment, Dave, you have to mention it. Have you seen it on social media? Where he's kind it- of, uh, there's a bit of a Barney, basically, and oh, he's just throwing, he's just moving Fred yeah. <laughs> with, with his hands. And he's like, he's laughing as he's doing it. Because he's yeah. like... <sighs> That's the problem with these physical matchups that, uh, you know, <laughs> fair play to, for Fred for trying to throw himself about, but yeah, he come off looking a bit silly there, sorry to say. I think, do you know what, though? I think when you think of Premier League history, this is a little bit cliche, maybe a little bit you die, but I think when it, when it comes to Premier League history, the, the best sides, the absolute dominant sides, have always been really physical, haven't they? When you think of, like, you know, the Arsenal team with Sol Campbell, Patrick Vieira and... And, and players like that, uh, you think of Chelsea under Mourinho with Drogba and John Terry and even the later Mourinho sides with Matic and players like that. Um, obviously, Manchester United had a fair few with Vidic, uh, Ferdinand, Roy Keane, Liverpool with Van Dijk, Fabinho. And I think Canate, he certainly looks like one of them units who can who, who can put himself about basically and, and be a real spine for Liverpool to build upon. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's about balance, isn't it? Because even City who, you know, have won a lot of titles recently, a host of really good technical players, uh, maybe not a ton of height, you know, in the attacking areas, but you think at the back, company, Stones, you know, these much taller physical players. And I think that it, it's a requirement to, to to kind of have those profiles in the team and the pool have definitely got them. Yeah. Uh, and from a, in terms of Jota, a little bit more of a surprise, surprise and inclusion maybe, but... When I looked at that after the match, one thing I did identify as a bit of a difference between the two players was their their pressing, basically. Now, I think when you watch Manchester United, I think they encounter issues when they when they build from the back. I don't think they're the, mo- they're the best when they're building from the goalkeeper. I think they're fairly easy to press into a mistake. And if you look at Jota's numbers this season, um, so far, this is Liverpool players only. Pressures in the final third. So defensive pressures in the final third. Salah's top on 71. Understandably, he's played every minute so far. Then Jota on 59 pressures. And then Mane on 37 pressures. So just 22 pressures difference there between Jota and Mane, even though Mane has played about 150 minutes more than Jota. And obviously, Jota has been described in the past as a bit as a pressing monster. I think by uh, Pep Linders. So I think just looking at that, maybe Jota was deemed as, even though Mane is really good defensively, maybe Jota was deemed as a bit more of a suitable player to deploy against a team that can't build from the back, and against a team that maybe you need to take your chances against. And I think Jota's very goals driven, isn't he? Whereas Mane, particularly in the last twelve months has been a little bit hesitant when it comes to putting the ball in it. So those are guesses, really. But other than that, I'm not really sure exactly why you'd select Jota over Mane when Mane's been playing fairly normally lately. Uh, but I do think that Jota's got certain perks over Mane, and I think at the minute, Preston seems to be one of them. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> educated guessing rather than guessing. You know, trying to put some logic yeah. behind it. Um, yeah, look, that could be the case. And we touched on... Jota's pressing, Canate's pace, and I thought he adjusted really well to the defensive line. I thought Liverpool were really good. Talked about it before, but you know United caught offside seven times in the game, and you think, well, what's what's the what's the causes for that? Pressing up the pitch, uh, having to go long because you can't play out. When they're doing that, uh, Liverpool's line is fantastic. Uh, you can't 
you can't beat it, um, you, which is causing attackers to go a little bit too soon. What's the results? Get flagged for offside. Seven times is a lot. Um, and I spoke to you about it. And I, I, talk, I think I tweeted about a couple of years ago when the Highline debate was going on about offsides. And, you know, nobody seems to do better than Liverpool when it comes to catching teams offside. Um, 40 so far this season. That's the best in the Premier League. Second is Leicester on 27. So it's 13 more than any other side after just nine games. And if you think about how Liverpool tend to dominate more of the ball, um, you know, it's that that's a high proportion of opposition attacks that are getting flagged for offside. Um, it's something that they've been doing really well this year. And just, uh, it ties in basically with the point you were talking about. Maybe Jota had more of that press, the pressing on a side you can't play out too well. And then when the force to go to plan B, which is to go long, uh, try and get the, get the players in behind with the pace, just struggling to do that as well. Uh, and all of it ended up nullifying United. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. So in terms of Solskjaer's approach then, were you surprised? Because I thought personally there was an element of... I mean, it was a bit suicidal, I thought. Uh, what he decided to do. Um, I, I'm really, I was really surprised that he, that he opted to... Pressed Liverpool highly, despite the personnel that he had at his disposal, and despite the person that he was against in terms of Liverpool and the the tools that Klopp has to play through such a press. You know, I was really surprised by the approach, and I think it was it was quite. Um, it was a major factor on why Liverpool scored four in the first half. Hmm. Yeah, but I, I think what's been happening at United, you know, because we obviously write about them a lot. Um, I think what I've noticed is this has been a kind of problem for them for the last few weeks. I think they, they're obviously trying to implement a game that's around uh, basically mirror, mirroring what a top side would do. So, you know, that's kind of pressing high intensity, dominating the ball, uh, playing high up the pitch, you know, like the, like Liverpool's and cities. Um, but the, the problem is they're just not as coherent with it. Uh, whether, I mean, we assume that would be a coaching issue, uh, but that's a very simplistic view of it. And there's a lot. There's a lot to it, I'm sure. But say you, you you blame that, you think of the chances they can they were conceding against Villarreal in the Champions League a couple of weeks ago. Uh, kept getting done in transitions on the counter. Everton scored there a couple of weeks ago. Counter um, again, kind of in in a transition, and it happens. It was happening a lot against Atalanta in the game before the Liverpool game. Uh, similar issues where conceding a lot of chances. De Gea has made some good saves, and then the problem is. You go and do that again to Liverpool, who've got kind of, you know, the elite in fast breaks anyway. You know, they're so quick, so efficient. Um, and obviously, if, if you put them one-on-one, it's it's, uh, it's very unlikely that they keep and do much about it. Um, so it's, it, it's hardly really surprised that they, that they got punished so poorly. And, you know, you probably could have preempted it uh, if you would have known that's how they were going to approach the game. Well, Solskjaer did say before the game when they asked him about, you know, what's what's the key today type thing, and he, he came up with a, a bit of a typical answer where he goes with loads of keys, and then I think I think it was um, Jeff Shreves asked, well, what's the, what's the top thing then? And Solskjaer said, um, be on the front foot and stamp your authority on the game. And he said after the game as well when he was questioned about why did you press basically, why did you press so high, he again said. When you're nice to play in a home, it's what we should do. Now, that might be true, but if that isn't your way and you don't train that day in, day out, and you don't have like a a, a cohesive, aligned way, this is how we do it. This is who you pick up. This is, you know, whether it's man, whether it's zonal, whether it's man orientated, it just seems to be a bit. I mean, this is a quite a big criticism, really, but it felt a bit Sunday League, I thought, where it was kind of like where a coach would say, go and press, but without any consideration as to how to press. Now, obviously, everyone knows to an extent how to press, It's because to an extent, again, it's it's just closing down an opposing player. But as I said, if you don't do it right, if you don't do it in a unified way, you can just get played through easily. And I think a lot of the time, 
Bruno Fernandes comes to mind and Mason Greenwood comes to mind as players who would get would just go at, attacking Allison or, or Van Dijk and they just get past around because there was no one going with them or they weren't pressing in a way that cut off a passing lane or they weren't pressing according to a specific trigger. It, was just, it just seemed to be off the cuff pressing off the cuff closing down yeah. when you're playing when, when you're trying to close down players like Van Dijk Trent Andy Robertson you know good players yeah almost, almost pressing as individuals rather than in packs um, yeah. and I do I do have a, a belief that the you know I don't believe it was just a case of uh, oh this is what we're going to do against Liverpool I do think he's probably trying to implement this you know with United but I just, I just don't think it's, it's. I'm look, and I'm, I'm conscious to say this because it, it just seems quite harsh. But it's, it's all you can really gather from the outside looking in. It's just clearly not being coached very well, is it? You know, it just goes back to that point that he's probably not the best coach. Or he's a little bit out, out, out of his depth, and I think again, this is a really good example of, of why. Yeah, it comes across as a little bit. A little bit prehistoric, really, where, where you'd kind of look at the situation and, and dumb it down and say it's just, oh, it's just a, it's a team game, you know. And he comes, he comes out with a lot of quotes that suggest that we just we need leaders and all that sort of stuff. And I think there's an element of truth attached to some of the things he says, but then you do also have to have that that um, really deep, really thorough process strategy behind the scenes where you and where you train in a specific way and things like that. And, they do seem really torn at the minute as to what they actually are, Manchester United, particularly on the defensive side of the game, because mm-hmm. they're obviously trying to dominate, trying to press high, without the players to press high and without the structure to press high, it seems. Um, yeah. And I thought Liverpool exploited it really, really well, I thought. Um, specifically, McTominay and Fred, I felt really sorry for, uh, because they're operating as a midfield too, but the ground that they were expected to cover is what you'd need the midfield for to cover. Um, and I think, you know, there was, there was a few moments where Naby Keita, for example, would, despite being a centre midfield, and Naby Keita would occupy a position that you'd see maybe a winger in. Mm. And the issue with that is if Keita's occupying a wire position, it, it's dragging Fred over, and then as a result, McTominay comes over. And because they're operating as a double pivot, you then have space on the other side of the midfield in, like, the half-space areas to use. So it's it's it was really easy to exploit, and I think there was a specific graphic that I'll send you in a sec, Dave. That comes to mind where you know if if you're fielding a from a from four in essence of Mason Greenwood, Marcus Rashford, Cristiano Ronaldo, and Bruno Fernandez, they're all going to be ahead of the ball to an extent, um, and I think it, it it does result in a from a bank of four in attack. And then a midfield two task with covering the whole of midfield, especially when there's such such a, a vast space between the, the front end of the team and the back as well. If you're pushing so high, um, that's just the worsens the problem, doesn't it? You know, it creates even more spaces. At least if if the team were compact, you know, a little bit more compact with men behind the ball, that restricts the the, the, the gaps in between. But as we've just discovered, United were pressing; they weren't pressing. Um, with any sort of cohesion, doing it in ones and twos, uh, so you basically getting players eliminated out the game straight away, and then yeah, it's it's those kind of it's those two who are having to try and you know do the job of twice as many players really, and, and you get punished for it. Yeah, I mean, I've I've just sent you the the tweet now that I that I was thinking about. Um, it's quite amazing because obviously Liverpool used a mid a midfield three, and then in addition to that, you have a battle for me, you know who's inclined to drop off from a striker's type position into midfield. So what you essentially had was a kind of midfield four of Liverpool, like a diamond shape, just playing around the midfield two of, of McTominay and Fred. And they just kind of had no chance, really. And very, very easy to play for. Have you, have you clicked that, Dave, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I'm looking now. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean it's just... Uh, you, yeah. you can play that way against certain opponents, maybe, but... To play like that against Liverpool. Yeah, I, mean, I know. Bad. Super sad. Yeah, so on the back of the performance, this is obviously a Liverpool podcast, but 
what, what do you think United should do there with with Solskjaer? I mean, was it was it that bad? I, look, I don't. In isolation, it was. Yeah, it was that bad. But <laughs> I also wouldn't make a decision purely on that. I'd wait, make it on, a, on a, as a wider, um, as a wider call. And look, I, I, I honestly think there's no way back for them. Uh, and I think United at the moment is just delaying the inevitable. I, I, I draw parallels between what's going on with Solskjaer and United and what was happening with Chelsea and Lampard last year. Um, yeah, I, I do the same. Yeah, it's it's so similar. Um, and you look at the okay, there, is there a Tuchel level coach available? Uh, there's a, there's a few. Maybe you could make a case for. But you look at what Tuchel's done with that exact same squad compared to what Lampard was doing with it. Um, it's you know it was chalk and cheese beyond going on to win the Champions League. Just in terms of improving everything from output in both boxes, underlying numbers, everything massively improved and. I think if you, for all the kind of criticism we give United, they've still got a, a decent squad on paper. Well, a very good squad, actually. Yeah, you can find a couple of holes in it, but it's a really good squad. And I think a, a top level manager would get more out of them. Yeah, I agree. I do, I do also think it's difficult, though, giving the timing of it because it's, it's um, mid season, obviously. And I assume that whoever United would like to target could be occupying the job. Obviously, Antonio Conte has been linked, but he systematically favours a back three wherever he goes. I'm not sure United have a squad that has been constructed to suit any sort of back three, really. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what they do, really. But I mean, it was it was really really bad. Mm. Uh, just on the numbers on the day, we haven't actually touched on them yet. So Liverpool, I mean. 3.8 xg for Liverpool without a penalty um, and Manchester United 1.6 and in terms of the shot count shot count isn't actually that dramatic really Liverpool 19 shots United 12 and the possession share Liverpool 63% United 37% but the xg in particular Dave 3.8 in largely in open play um and you know, no penalties involved. That is a very, very high figure. That yeah, it's. I mean, it completely kind of justifies the scoreline, doesn't it? Five nil scoreline. Um, and that, it, that, whenever that, you... that, I was to say that essentially means that you know, on a normal day, everything goes as normal. Any t- any team would bang average finishing probably scores four. No, that's a big statement. That at Old Trafford. Hmm. Yeah, I'd be interested to see if if. If they've ever conceded an XG that high with no penalties previously, it'd probably take a little bit of time to go back and look, and maybe not something we can yeah. do right now. But um, it's got to be certainly since you know the metrics have been publicly available, that's got to be one of the highest they've ever had, if not the highest. Yeah, I'm just going to get up now. Last season, just for the sake of argument, so last season they conceded bang on three point eight. In the defeat to Spurs, if you remember, they lost 6-1. 6-1, yeah. At Old Trafford. But I'm pretty sure they went down to 10 men. Very, Yeah, they went down to 10 men on the 28th minute. Um, and that included a Harry Kane penalty. Mm, I was about so, to say, yeah. So this, this is just next level, really, isn't it? Mm. Um, Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Just a little bit to touch on Liverpool's players then. Mo Salah, Dave. <laughs> I mean, we seem to be doing this every week. Every week, yeah. But he went and scored three. I mean, he went and scored a hat-trick at Old Trafford. I mean, you can't stop him at the minute. I think he also got an assist. And um, for the FPL listeners, I think Dave's had a tough week. Can we not? <laughs> uh, I've, uh, to say tough week is an understatement. I fell... From in roughly around game overall ranked two hundred top two hundred thousand to <laughs> something like the uh, I think I'm in the seven hundred odd thousand now on the back of that it was a two hundred percent drop, um, <laughs> so yeah it was just it was I, I, I was so so upset on Sunday nights because you know the people who aren't in to FBL just be rolling their eyes a little bit but you know we're obviously into it I think a few of the listeners are. I was devastated because I uh, first time I went off Salah Sal- captain and went Vardy and 
disaster. So, yeah, I've sulking made him still, it's still burning now, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it was a top performance. It was a top, um, it is finishing, I thought, it was very, very good as well. Our host, uh, sorry, our, our producers just, just letting us know a few stats here. So, Salah became the first visiting player to score a hat-trick uh, at Old Trafford in the Premier League era. Uh, 30 seasons and no visiting player has previously done it. Yeah, so quite a big statement there from Mo Salah. I, I, have, I did say a few weeks back, it's, it could be the best I've seen him play. And um, that's, I think now that's looking even more justified, to be honest, because it's not just his goals, it's also his creation, his general contributions, his threat, his availability. You know, he's played every minute so far. He's just absolutely on top of his game at the minute. Top, proper peak, Sally. Um, and actually seen a, a, a piece during the week from a, a lad who I follow. Um, and he made a point that I, I'm disappointed I hadn't actually thought of, to be honest. But he made a point that I don't I don't think he was exaggerating either because it's, it's going to sound like, like he's exaggerating. But he said... Um, that current Mo Salah is the closest thing that the Premier League has seen to Lionel Messi in terms of just what he offers on the pitch, scoring, creating, left foot, generally being a super dangerous attacking player, possessing the ball, moving the ball into the penalty box, dribbling, just everything. You know, he offers he offers a total game at the minute. And, um, you know, it, 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 is, it is a massive threat, Dave. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I'm still not on board with that statement. I'll be honest. <laughs> Who else are you going with then? I don't Who? know. I, I I need longer to think about it, but that just seems. And I don't know. I think. No, I agree. With, I agree with that. I'm telling you. Uh, I'm not on board with that one. Yeah, but uh, into yeah. Right now, he's just. Well, I, I mean, we've said it like every single week this season. He's just been. I mean, you were said you you probably think it is the best form he's been in. Definitely, from my point of view, it is. Um, and what's remarkable, you did briefly touch on it. He just feels like he's, he's has he ever been injured? Has he ever been injured? Has he <laughs> has he ever? I, I don't know if he's ever had an impact. I think he had an impact concussion, didn't he? And missed the Barcelona return leg. Um, but has he ever broke down with a thigh strain or you know, calf injury? Just just I mean, he's he's an absolute poster boy for just um not drinking, perfect diet. You know, being the the ultimate professional, um, and yeah, you know, I think this all this kind of adds weight to living that lifestyle, and he, he, yeah, just so impressive that side of things. Um, beyond obviously the great football and ability as well. Yeah, just looking a little bit deeper into his numbers here, and it 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 is top stuff. I mean, these are totals. So he, when I'm saying this now, he's going to be benefiting a little bit from the fact that he's played every minute. But so far, in terms of expected assists, he's top of the league. In terms of key passes, a key pass is a, a pass that leads directly to a shot. He's fifth in the Premier League. In terms of passes into the penalty box, he's third. Then you consider that he's also top scorer. Um, I think pretty certain he's had the most shots in the league. Um, so he's, he's just a, a proper all-round threat at the minute. Um, and Dave, I'm not sure if I've asked. I mean, in fact, yeah, I have. But we we can speak a little bit again about it because I've thought, I've thought about it since. Just briefly, without starting the fire, <laughs> um, his contract, right? I think it's very very easy to just say, right, give him what he wants, and I think I've done it. We've done it on this pod. I think the past few weeks because it just does feel like such an obvious answer, and I'm not gonna go hipster here to the extent that. I start saying it's not a bad, it's a bad idea or anything like that. Total nonsense. But the rumours are that he's asking for 400, 400 grand a week, right? I'm I'm led to believe that Liverpool's current highest day in it is on 220. So I'm just looking at that and I'm thinking that's going to be tricky. You know, if, he, if he's persistent with 400 grand a week, although he fully deserves it as a player, you know, I totally put my hands up with that. He deserves 400 grand a week as a player, especially in comparison to what other players in the league are on. 
Jaden Sancho, I think, is on about 350. De Bruyne is on 400 region. So Salah is without doubt good enough to be on that. But when the rest of the squad are on around 200, 100, it's a bit tricky, isn't it? You know, is it, you're playing with you're playing with fire there. Yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit say, delicate. Yeah, because it, it can quite easily upset the dynamic, and and while Salah is the the best player in the squad right now, you know, best player in the league, probably best player in the world right now. We get we get all that. Um, it is still a team game at the end of the day, you know. Um, Liverpool, I think, a little bit beyond just keeping Mo Salah happy. Uh, it probably could, but then the thing is, Josh. Could given the form he's in now, could a um, who's a good who, who, pick someone out of the squad? Who's, who's who do you reckon Liverpool's top in? Is that just give me two names, Van Dijk and Thiago? Okay, could those two players, even though Van Dijk's fantastic, could they knock on the door and say, "Well, you're giving giving him four hundred grand a week. You know, we want that as well." Given what Salah's doing right now, and if he continues to do that across the course of the campaign. I agree. I totally agree. But what I think one issue you maybe have is, let's say you give Salah 400. That's double most of the squad. So even if someone's not performing to Salah's level, they don't even have to be to be able to be able to be in a position to ask them for 300, mm. for example, because that's not what Salah's on. But it's a hundred grand increase, if you see what I mean. Yeah. And I think... It can have a bit of an issue when when it comes to signing players. Because, say, for example, when Thiago came, Thiago came to Liverpool as an elite player, Champions League winner, multiple Bundesliga winner, played for Barcelona and, and Bayern Munich. So straight away, Thiago arrives at Liverpool. Liverpool say, right, you, you can be our joint highest earner. Thiago got okay, no problem. So Thiago gets 200 grand a week. If when t- when we signed Thiago, Salah was on four hundred grand a week. That is a bit of a again a delicate one, isn't it? Because Thiago then could that realistically ask of asked for four hundred grand a week, considering the player that he is, and what he's done in the game, mm. or maybe again he asks for three hundred grand a week, um, which is just, which is, would be a hundred more hundred grand more than what Van Dijk's on, mm. but than what Allison's on, mm. Fabinho. So, yeah, it's. I'm just trying to bring these things to the conversation, really, because I think it's very, very easy to say, give him what he wants, and I agree with that. You know, I, I, I do think he deserves what he's asking for, but I just think from a squad perspective, managing the squad and stuff, it is a delicate one that Liverpool, I think Liverpool understandably have to bring him down, I think, from that figure, if possible, or get around it by incentivising it, maybe by keeping them closer to 250 grand and saying, you know, if you score 20 Premier League goals in a season, you get a 30 grand boost or whatever it, whatever it is. You know, I, I'm not too sure. I don't wear out of the club, but I think you have to get around to someone. Who, who do you think wants the 400 grand a week? Do you think he wants it? Or do you think advisors around him are saying this is what you, you should be on? Um... Yeah, I don't know. he just doesn't strike me as someone who'd be so insistent on them and getting the yeah. uh, the finances, getting that kind probably, of stuff. But then probably, probably the last one, yeah. yeah. Probably his agents, I would, I would assume. Um, I mean, we've seen his agents on, on Twitter and things, and I think he's generally quite outspoken, I think it's fair mm. to say. I think he is a big believer in Salah as a player and as a person. And I think he, he, he is... Somewhat understandably, just probably looked at the league, looked at the other top players in the league, the likes of De Bruyne, and deemed Salah to be as good, and he is as good. You know, yeah. Liverpool don't have a leg to stand on in that ex- in, in that department. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, it makes absolute sense to keep probably the best player in the world at this moment at your club. But um, there is multiple things at play here so it's going to be interesting to see how Liverpool navigate that one mm-hmm. um, but we'll move on anyway in fact we, just before we move on for United we have to give Firmino a shout because I thought Firmino was brilliant I think going into the season and first few games of the season he was getting forgotten about a little bit I thought 
obviously Jota starts to Jota begins to start matches. Firmino begins to become the fourth choice, and he specifically against United, despite the fact that he weren't really too involved in scoring or assisting. I just thought he was brilliant. He was just a he's just a top top player. Um, linking the midfield, being in the right place at the right time, movement, work rate, pressures, top player, Dave. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I think uh, what was happening with Firmino was obviously he wasn't converting at the, you know, he well, I say he wasn't converting at a great rate. He never really has, but he, he wasn't specifically last season getting on the score sheet too much. You look at the arrival of Jota, who can kind of play that position, has some similar traits, scores goals, and I think people were starting to think. You know, he's he's probably got a, a fair case to play ahead of him. Um, but maybe that's uh, gave gave it a little bit more incentive for Firmino just to step it up a notch because he has looked, I think he's looked quite good across the campaign as a whole so far. But specifically um, on Sunday, doing what Firmino does best, you know, that kind of game that he implements, link and play, his, his technical ability is just almost unrivaled at times, isn't it? At time, sorry, um, and yeah, he had a he had a fantastic game, and really was that kind of to use that you know well worn term again. He was that advanced pivot up in the uh, attacking third. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Klopp gave out a few quotes on him recently, actually, in one of his press conferences. He described him in, in a really interesting way. I thought, um, so he said, he said he's a connector, mm-hmm. uh, the the best offensive defender I have ever saw in my life. Um, but I think those are just general little terms that you can apply to Firmino and he is very, very unique, very different. Uh, and in those top games, I think I, I, when you're playing those top, top games, I think any coach in the world would take him, you know, I, I think he's that type of player, he's a dream, he's a manager's dream. Mm-hmm. And I think when it comes to, this is based on nothing, but when it comes to just what he's like as a person, he comes across as a bit of a maverick type and stuff and he comes across as the type to maybe feed off the crowd a little bit. I don't think it's that much of a surprise for me that he had a bit of a downtime during the empty stadiums era. You know, and now that, that can't, that's kind of ended, we have seen a bit of an upturn in form, I think, as you said, the past few weeks. And, you know, hopefully it continues. Do you think he'll, uh, I mean, <laughs> the beauty of a small sample size, he's currently outperforming his XG. And uh, those <laughs> regulars out there who listen to the show will know he notoriously doesn't do that. So... It'll be interesting to see if uh, over a longer sample of minutes he can uh, he can sustain that. Yeah, I mean it's it's overdue, really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's been a long time since that last happened. But we'll see if he continues to do it if he starts at Brighton, Dave. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Have you been surprised by their results? I think they are currently fifth. In the table, I think I'm right in saying. Uh, yeah. Have you been surprised by them, Dave? Or? Um, no, because, well, at the, the early in the season, no, because obviously, you know, we spoke about Brighton previously, spoke about them on other shows. A lot of people spoke about them. You know, they were doing a lot of things right last season, despite loitering in the, the bottom half of the table or in the bottom half, I should say. Um, but, you know, that kind of good coaching and everything's come together a little bit for them this season. And obviously, they've had some really good results. Little Tailed off a little bit over the last couple of weeks. I don't know if you've noticed. Um, I think they're actually winless in about four games. But if you if you drill down to those games, you'd add uh, a derby against Crystal Palace. You know, they're, they're equivalent to Everton Liverpool. So, obviously, it's a... It's always a little bit more difficult, isn't it? Uh, those results can be a little bit harder to predict. Then they had a, a game against Arsenal at home. Which uh, did you catch that game, Josh? I caught the second half of that game. Yeah, it was a game where I, I happened to see it, and they they, they battered them from a, at least from a performance point of view. Unlucky yeah. not to win it. Um, you know, drop points against Norwich was supposed someone was going to, and then City, City, isn't it? So well, then where the, the results looked like they tailed off a little bit, but there's kind of caveats for each um, so yeah interesting Do you know what I hadn't actually picked up on their results tailing off to that extent I wasn't aware that they were winless in four and I mm. suppose you could include five if you're including the Carabao Cup in there yeah and I've just looked have you, did you see their numbers against City no no I didn't look at the underlying numbers 
so we were speaking before about Liverpool mm. and posting an XG of 3.8 at Old Trafford. City posted an XG of 3.9, mm. um, which is incredibly high for to, to face Brighton. You know, that's that's that suggests Brighton's defence was an absolute mess. I saw the highlights, didn't see the actual match. City obviously scored four. Um, but that, I mean, that bodes well for Liverpool, I suppose. Yeah, and, that, you know, we made a big thing of um, no penalties in Liverpool's XG. And from what I can see, there wasn't there wasn't one, was there, by for, for City either. So, no, no. yeah, very high. There was one penalty in the game, but ironically, it was for Brighton. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to Brighton, I think uh, I'm not surprised by the results that they're picking up because we it feels like we've kind of been flagging that that should be the case for ages because they've been generally posting good underlying numbers and usually when that's the case the results will follow eventually but I think when you look at their numbers this season they funny enough despite the fact that they're picking up results I think their underlying numbers are actually slightly worse than they were Hmm. Um, which is funny I mean if you look at if you look at their numbers this season they've posted better underlying numbers than their opponents in four games against Burnley, Arsenal, Leicester and Watford. In the other games, the other five it will be now, um, they've posted, you know, either level or slightly worse. So, it's quite funny to know uh, I mean, Brighton is just a bit of an enigma, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, It felt like for different reasons last year, it was, uh, it was felt like they were doing so much right and not getting, not getting the results. But, um, obviously, this year it feels like that it's gone the other way a little bit, but they're getting getting a few more results. Although it, it, this will be a, quite a test for them. Obviously, Liverpool, are, Liverpool, and Chelsea toughest teams in the Premier League at the moment um, to to come up against. But obviously, coming in on the back of a little bit of a, a, a dip in form as well, it'll be interesting to see if that's going to be something that's sustained or if they can bounce back from that. Yeah, just looking at their numbers now so far for the season, so. In attack, they're actually very, very quiet. So if you look at their expected goals, excluding penalties, they have the 19th in the table for that. Um, ahead of only Norwich. So only Norwich have got a, a, a worse attack so far this season than, than Brighton. Obviously, it's wow. very early days. Things can get shaped as we move on throughout the season. But it, I suppose it bodes well for Liverpool's ability to keep a clean sheet on the weekend. And on the defensive side of the game, uh, Brighton are better, but I think they've been impacted quite a bit by that City XG performance. Obviously, City posted 3.9, so that's taken quite a bit off them. So, in terms of their defence, Brighton are looking slightly better than mid-table at the minute. But again, once you remove that Mad City results, I'd say Brighton are probably, I'd say the probably top six defence in the league, Brighton, I think. Yeah, well, that has kind of been there probably... You know the the kind of basis for their success so far. Um, I'm sure we'll come on to it. You know they, they they've obviously they've got the back three. If you think about the central defenders, they have the likes of Dunk, Duffy. You know you got really kind of uh, Veltman when he's when he's playing. Which sometimes every time he was in my FPL, he wasn't. Um, but you know he's got they've got really kind of solid defenders who, who suit suit a system like that. Which and you you know if you, if your defense is strong. It, 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 it's kind of half the battle, isn't it? In, in terms of winning matches, and then it, it's just about, you know, if you can get it, if you can keep a clean sheet every week, you only need one goal, don't you? You don't need this scintillating forward line. Um, obviously, that's easier said than done, but it's a good basis to be a su- successful side. Yeah, I mean, as you said, they're still still operating with a back three uh, against City. Their back three consists of Joel Veltman, Lewis Dunk, and Dan Bain. I think Dan Bain is injured now, so maybe that will be Duffy. Uh, you have Mark Cucadella in there, who's, who's been the decent sign so far, and Sully Marsh on uh, the right side, right wing back. Mm. In, in midfield, funny enough, Adam Lallana's been getting a few games, mm. and, and up front, it has been a, a duo of Neil Morpé and Leandro Trossard. So going into this game, what I'm kind of expecting, I, I, I think Liverpool will have a bit of a challenge on their hands in terms of breaking Brighton down and finding the net. And I think defensively, although Brighton are capable, I think Liverpool will generally be okay defensively. I'm expecting a clean sheet personally. Hmm. But I think it will be interesting to see 
Liverpool's attack in this game because obviously we've said a few times so far this season Liverpool's attack is, is red hot at the minute and they're coming up against a decent defence but a decent defence that has just been hammered by City by the looks of it so it's going to be interesting to see if anything gets changed on the back of the City game if they learn from any of their mistakes or if Liverpool look at the City game and use some of the, the tactics that Guardiola used to obviously uh, gain inroads against them but yeah it's going to be an interesting one Dave yeah, you know, if you think of the back three, it, the way Liverpool's system is, you naturally have a 3v3, don't you? You have three attackers on their back three with, you know, where the front three is going to be. And then providing the width will be, you know, you kind of want wing, back, wing backs to do that. Liverpool have two of the best. So I actually, you know, I think it could be a good result for Liverpool this one, uh, despite Brighton being a good side. Yeah, so we'll, we'll do predictions then, I think. So. Are you going to go with this one, Dave? I am going to go with a pool win. I'm going to go away a 2 0 victory. Um, yeah, I just fancy Liverpool there. Yeah. It's getting easier again, mate. It's like two years ago. It's easy <laughs> just back Liverpool to win and we come out on the, on top of the predictions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, I went into the Old Trafford match giving Solskjaer more faith than I probably should have, thinking that he'll get the team up for the game. It's <clears throat> a bit of a derby, isn't it? Mm. Two rivals and stuff. So I went for a 1-1, actually. Um, just thinking that it'd follow the pass, but obviously Liverpool exploded majorly throughout the game and turned into a 5-0. But for this match, I think I'm going to go 2-0, like yourself. I'm going to go, I'm going to go with you. I don't think Liverpool will, will hammer this team, but I suppose City have just kind of done it, so it's possible. And I think, as I said, in defence, I would expect Liverpool to keep a clean sheet. be interesting to see if, if Canate starts again, actually, and if, if Canate is maybe just edged out Joel Matip as the, as the starting, starting player. Yeah, yeah, be interesting. Um, so, yeah, we'll be back next week to look at Atletico Madrid, possibly. I mean, even though we've already just kind of done it, we'll be reviewing Brighton and we'll be looking ahead. So, yeah, thanks for tuning in. Dave, thanks for joining us, mate. Cheers, mate. Cheers, everyone. And we will be back next week. Do tune in. Thanks. See you then. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.